Please keep your arms and legs inside the ride at all times. Welcome to the Corey Connects Podcast. You are about to embark on a thrill ride of the ages. Corey Warfield went from living on the streets to hanging with the elites. This growth hacker, serial entrepreneur, mentor, and social media personality has taken connection to new heights. Hold on as we learn from globally recognized leaders who have used the power of connection in areas of innovation, upskilling, technology, leadership, and disruption. So hold on to your hats. It's about to get real. Thank you for tuning into the Corey Connects podcast. Today, I am pleased to bring to you someone that I truly consider a hero. And a lot of you may have seen this young man on social media talking about some of the cool initiatives he's in, but I'm pleased to present Bruce Parkman and talk a bit about what he's doing with some of his companies, a bit of his backstory and why. And and I'm going to put you on spot today, Bruce, and, and call you out. I think you're making the world a better place. So with that said, uh, I'd love to just let you introduce yourself to the audience. So we'll hop into the episode. Hi, Corey. Really appreciate the opportunity. Happy New Year to you and to your family and to all your listeners. I'm Bruce Parkman. I own a portfolio of companies that we think are generating an impact on the world. And um, I'm a retired Green Beret Sergeant Major, served with honor and pride for 21 years. Got out as an angry Vietnam vet raised man in early 2001 before the world went bananas. But I was able to see that we could do a lot for our military with providing old gray beards, as they call them, uh, back to them. And we started a company and that was my first foray into business. Basically, we ended up doing very well. And I've been able to continuously start companies that focus on providing good services that are needed for people and entities from the United States government to small companies around the world. So it's a real pleasure to be here and hope that our conversation can stimulate other people to kind of follow in our footsteps. I know that you invoke a lot of change, good positive change with what you're doing. So it, it's my honor to be on the show, sir. Oh, that, that's humbling to hear. I do kind of want to jump right into some of the stuff that you're into, but you mentioned 20 years, special forces with the Army. I think you were airborne, if, if I remember correctly, Green Beret. I wonder... It seems as though a lot of your holdings and a lot of your efforts right now are going into making the world a safer place as it goes online. And when you were serving a lot of your career, I think my research tells me the Internet was a thing even all those years ago in the Army, but people weren't using it. What was it in your career that got you when you came out to really focus on ways to keep companies, governments, communities, schools, human beings safe in this digital age? Was there a catalyst or a moment, something that you saw? I think just being a Green Beret is what does it. A lot of people don't know that our bread and butter is basically hearts and minds. A 12-man Green Beret A-team can field equip, sustain, train, and lead in combat 144 Indigenous soldiers, which means that you don't have to send a battalion of U.S. Army personnel there. You just send us. I was involved with a lot of great operations. I did a year and a half in the war in El Salvador all by myself, you know, just stuck with two battalions of indigenous personnel in the the foothills of El Salvador. I spent my life training other troops to do the fighting so Americans can't. But during that time, you know, Green Berets just have a passion for people. And I think that because we speak the languages, a lot of times we marry into the communities. We become very, very involved. We're not the typical military that shows up, you know, with a whole bunch of gear and we take over and kill a lot of people and leave. 
That's not what we do. Our job is to help the population. Uh, we build wells, we build schools, but we also train troops, you know, very much trained to do all the kinetic activities ourselves. But it was during my time as a Green Beret where the softer side of the military, when I say soft, the hearts and mind side, not the kinetic action stuff. I mean, we all jump out of planes. We have scuba teams, halo teams. We do all the badass shit. It's just that we're the only badass unit that's required to work on that softer side, which really makes a difference. And during that time, you know, I was kind of good at it. I learned to speak fluent Spanish, Brazilian Portuguese, and I love dealing with people. And I think those capabilities, which many, and if not all Green Berets have, is what allows us to transcend into businesses. And then we want our businesses to do good. And we want our businesses to make an impact because we made such an impact in our military careers. That is so profound. And I have a good friend that he's still active, but he spent some years now in the Pentagon as a comptroller. And he's in another division of the military that shall remain nameless because I know you've got some strong feelings. But one of the things that he and I talk about a lot and what he's looking to to do with the next chapter of his life after 30 some years in the military is help veterans transition into entrepreneurship or senior leadership within companies. And as someone that's done that successfully many times over now, what would you say specifically to the veteran population as they look to potentially start a new chapter or migrate into civilian life, especially as it pertains to what you're doing with with some of the online stuff and the protection stuff. And then I do want to change gears and talk a little bit about safe campuses and, and the bullying stuff that you're doing also. I think a lot of veterans, when they get ready to get out, like me, were scared. I mean, I was unemployed for a year looking for a job. I didn't have a network. It was back when the... AOL days, you're trying, you know, you've got a two lines hooked up to your computer. And so a lot of them opt for safety because the military is a very secure environment. You do your job, you can do 20, you get a pension and you're gone. And so a lot of them look at the defense contractor or government civilian areas. Those are areas where they can give back, right? And they continue to serve. All of veterans are very proud to have served and um, they represent less than 1% of the U.S. population. and, And that's how they go. But I do believe that an area of oversight in most planning for veterans is entrepreneurship. There's a program right now called the Bunker Project. I got asked to come in and speak to two of their chapters. One was in Kansas City. And they're innovative kind of like we work types of play incubators, right, where they bring in veterans that have great ideas. They can help find funding and financing, so on and so forth. I was really amazed at what they were doing for veterans, and they didn't think that they could do it. I was told right now, there's almost 6 million businesses that have no succession plan in America. And we're talking, you know, tire shops, liquor stores, manufacturers. I mean, these are small family businesses that men have started, women have started, you know, gays, lesbian, people of color have started. They're getting on in life. Their kids don't want it. I mean, right here, I mean, I met a guy, a veteran who started a real estate company, he owned 22 rental properties. His kids didn't want it. He had to sell his business because he couldn't find anybody to take it on. Entrepreneurship doesn't mean starting your own company or having the next great Amazon.com idea and then having to find funding because that is a different form of entrepreneurship. You usually don't end up owning what you start anyways. But if you have a great idea, that's great. But what all military people have are great management skills. The the military is the only job in the world where two years into that job, you are in charge of other people. You're training them, you're mentoring them, you're kicking them in the butt, you're making sure they do their jobs. Every person that does a tour in the military 
has management and leadership skills, skills that are just enormous amounts of scarcity in our economy. Entrepreneurship is also taking over a company. And if you find a company that's in a passionate area that you like, could be liquor stores. You know, I was joking around with somebody, you know, it could be any type of industry that you want. But if you're passionate about it, you find an industry, you look at the books, you look at the history, you look at the market, is it going to succeed? And banks will fund any buyout of any existing profitable industry if you structure the deal right. And that's what I would love to see more entrepreneurs get involved. I'd like to see somebody besides just myself, you know, be interested in training veterans. Almost all the transition skills out there are to help them get jobs. I don't know of really one that's focused on teaching them how to identify an industry they're passionate about, how to identify a company that is for sale, and then how to put together a deal structure. I think the Bunker Labs was the first one I ran into that was focused on it. I was enthralled. I really dug it. That's awesome. So my buddy at the Pentagon's name is Michael, and I want to connect the two of you. I think there may be some opportunity there. But when I hear you talk about how entrepreneurship doesn't mean starting your own thing and how that typically means you're not going to end up owning a lot of it anyway. I have lived that. I have seen that. It's so true. And that's going to be one of my quotes just came out of this right now. I think a lot of people don't understand that. And the management and the leadership thing is so cool. So it helped me and my listeners understand, are you advocating for effectively a pool of uh, veteran-owned businesses and potentially more veterans that might be able to step in and almost uh, apprentice or kind of set themselves up to take that over and then some banks are there to help? Is that your vision? Yeah, twofold is number one is to identify businesses that are looking to be sold, that are looking for somebody because the business, the valuation cannot be sustained if the business does not continue to be profitable. They can't buy you out, right? If it doesn't keep making money, then your deal falls through. But the other aspect of that is structuring the deal. And, you know, in talking to people, not that I'm a professional at it, but by keeping the existing management on for a period of 12 to 24 months to ensure that they train you, that they do all the handoffs, they introduce you to all their suppliers, all their vendors, they help you build the relationships that they already have and teach you how to build more. Those are all critical parts of a deal. You know, being trained up, you're just not going to roll in and take over a chain of liquor stores and just pick it up like that. I mean, you've been carrying a rucksack. You've been working in an OR. You've been flying helicopters for X amount of years. These are not, you know, business skills, you know, from budgeting, accounting, financing, marketing. These are not inherent military skills, but they can be learned. I mean, it is critical that in any deal structure, you know, the veteran work with an owner that's going to invest in them as well and teach them. If the both parties are not successful, then the deal will never happen. And the business owner is probably going to get his business back. It might be run into the ground. It's lost value. So both parties have to come to the deal with passion to succeed. I just find it hard to believe that that can't be done. You know, it is disconcerting that so many veterans don't think they can do it. And it's like, I can't do that. Well, yeah, you can. You don't want to sit behind a computer. You want to be the man. My entrepreneurship webinar is working for the man or the woman, right? Which is yourself. There's no more fun than being able to call the shots, but having the confidence to call them because you were trained and you have the business acumen and the confidence to do so. Well, see, it sounds like you're talking about a true succession plan, which has even phonetically succession has, you know, starts with success and, and setting people up for that success. I think that's fantastic. And one thing I want to gloss over for the moment, but maybe come back to is you said when you got out of the military, it took you a year to find a job. And part of that is because you didn't have the network. And I think some years later with social media now, 
it's easier than ever to network and, and to use social media to do that and get some peer support and some peer groups going. But I know that also comes with a lot of, of threats as well. And so I think if I'm not mistaken, three or four of your portfolio companies that you've started all touched kind of cybersecurity, mitigating the risk of doing business, transacting, networking online. And we can go down any rabbit holes, but one of the things you're doing at Blue Light specifically with your patented Blue Fusion is you're bringing all the different disparate data into one plane. You know, for people that are listening to this that aren't data analysts, that might sound confusing. But what I do want to really call out is that you have found a way to take data from different parts of the internet, whether it's social media or things, campuses and schools safer. And one of your focuses around that is bullying. And, and I think cyberbullying as well as physical bullying. And the other thing that you're doing, and, and I may need to have you back on for a second episode if you're open to it, but you're, you're working with the contact tracing for COVID right now, which is, it's even more relevant. But I think the bullying thing is something that I've never seen or heard of data being used to combat before. So if you're open to it, I'd love to kind of do a little deep dive into what you're doing to keep campuses safer that I'd love to kind of circle back on how potentially veterans and, and people can use social media safely to network. And then I want to just kind of talk a bit more about some of your businesses and then we'll wrap up for today if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the problem with school security solutions right now is they're either very manpower intensive or they're focused on the 1% of events that are just horrific, like school shootings. But there's 99% of events that lead to those school shootings. And I think, you know, you're very much aware that my son just had a tragic death. You know, he was suffering from undiagnosed severe clinical depression. And there were people that kind of thought they might have known, but didn't know how to say anything. So when you start looking at not only security, but awareness of risk, because the other 99% of events are, you know, there's bullying, there's harm, there's self-harm, there's harm towards others, there's sexual molesting, sexual harassment. And this is not just students, it's teachers. And so we were looking at a way to leverage technology in a way that to make schools safer, that's not invasive, you know, putting metal detectors, you're not that Fourth Amendment, you know, search and seizure friendly. It's friendly to a lot of things, but more important, addresses the school to prison pipeline that goes a lot in our schools, especially in inner cities where kids just turned over to the police. When, you know, sometimes the schools can handle it themselves or the network, building the, the community networks to handle these kids and get them attention and a treatment or whatever it is. So what we did is we started looking at a, a disparate collection of technologies. Now, back to your first point, what we do focus on is taking data that you have, no matter where it is, and bringing it up and being able to visualize it because we're visual people. And when you see the data and you see the connections, you can make a decision much, much more rapidly than if you have a bunch of spreadsheets, you have some videos, you have reports, you have you know tons of data that's not connected. We have the patent to connect all that data and bring it up in a visualization issue engine like I2 Analyst Notebook. We can use Tableau. We can use Maltigo. There's a bunch of them out there. Our job is to get the more data. The more data you have, the more informed you are. From a school security perspective, if I don't know that somebody's making a threat to harm themselves or making a threat to harm others, or I'm not aware that a person using facial matching technology has entered my school but does not match the pictures that I own, right? Because, you know, facial recognition is a very, very sensitive topic nowadays. And that is true if you're just collecting anybody's face. 
But if you're a business, if you're a school, you have ID cards. Those ID cards have faces on them. And you, as a security administrator, should be aware of anybody that does not match your faces that's trying to enter your school. And that's what we focus on is just, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to enter the school. It's just that you have to go to the security officer or to the principal or to the office to come in because you don't match. You're not a student, right? You're not a teacher. You're not an employee. Therefore, you shouldn't be in our schools. And I will guarantee you that 99% of parents feel the same way. So we started putting together a collection of technologies that do license plate reading, facial matching, anonymous texting, which could have helped my son because there were people that he did indicate that he wasn't afraid to die, which, you know, if it said that to me, you know, we would have been talking, but there's awareness out there that kids are having problems, but it's not making it to the school. So no decisions can be made. And that's where we get those 1% of events when events that we never saw that had been occurring over time escalate and we get something dramatic like a school bombing, a school shooting. So we basically used our technology to tie in a bunch of different technologies to make the schools more safer through technology. Very effective, very affordable, very easy to install, requires no training. It's all owned by the school, so it meets HIPAA and FERPA standards. It's an amazing, amazing project. We're now in our first school and we're putting it all in. It's been there for about four months and we're getting ready to go public with it. But in my purview, and I'll get on my soapbox just a little bit, nothing's more important than our children. Without our children, we have no future. And if we thought about our children every day as politicians, as parents and business owners and what we're leaving behind, I just think that, you know, when we don't do that, then we have let down our kids. And so this was one way, notwithstanding the death of my absolutely amazing, wonderful boy, that we're trying to address the issues that we're having in our schools so that we can have a more powerful, non-invasive solution that puts awareness in the hands of teachers, administrators, and parents so that they could make decisions. If I would have known some of the things my son said, that some of the things my son had written in school, then I definitely would have been able to intervene. But I didn't. But this is this is something that's been ongoing. My son was just using as a case of somebody that, you know, as a parent, I could have been more aware. It's not the school's fault. You know, it's not anybody's fault. It's just a way of building more awareness. And knowledge is power. And you didn't have the knowledge, but the knowledge base was there. And, and that's now what you're doing. And you've been doing it before that tragedy as well. But had you had the knowledge, there may have been a different outcome. And I've now been saying only for four days because it's January 4th, but I think it's kind of clever to say that 2020 is now hindsight, but hindsight being 2020 and all that as well. It's when you look at events that have happened across the world and the country over the last 10, 15 years and the, you know, with the different schools getting shot up or the churches and things like that. I think a lot of us have kind of thought, don't they have technologies in place? You know, isn't there ways that this shouldn't have ever been a thing? And I think now it being 2021, there's really no excuse. And you're at the forefront of that. There are mechanisms and there are ways to tie the technologies together for the first time ever. And it's pretty cool that you have a patent on it, but I think it's even cooler that you just care so much. And now it's become incredibly personal as well. But, you know, it breaks my heart that you've gone through this and, and but really any other parent that's been through this as well, there aren't words to describe, but you guys all would be able to have an unspoken conversation about that. But I think the reality is moving forward, there is a lot of reason to be hopeful that these technologies and this visualization and things like that do exist. What are some opportunities that you see in 2021 as we're kind of still dealing with what they're calling the new normal or, or COVID-19 and all that? 
what are some other ways that technology can be used to make our world and communities a bit safer? From the, the security perspective, I think that the continuous allowing, you know, companies, institutions of faith and schools and our law enforcement to evolve to more and more technologies they become available, I think is going to be crucial. But being allow, allowing them to leverage the data they produce in order to make decisions. And right now we're kind of in a disconnected world when it comes to data. Companies, everybody's buying technologies. The data is on the cloud. It's on the prem. It's here. It's there. It's in different formats. And they're having a very, very difficult time tying it to data. Do whatever. Now, we primarily deal in the security space, but we're also seeing great advantages in fraud. Right now with COVID, we're going to see dramatic increases in medical banking and healthcare fraud. You know, we've got a lot of people that are, you know, struggling right now that we need to help, of course. But I think from the criminal perspective, we're going to see that security to us. We're going to see a significant increase in fraud in 2021 as a result of 2020. And I think that from the schools, the schools are also going to probably undergo a wave of a little bit of chaos. These kids have been locked up for a year, man. And they're coming back to school after a year of, you know, without any interfacing with, you know, other kids, other adults. And I think that over time, you know, we're going to we're going to see some problems emanate from that. And that's where awareness technologies like anonymous texting and there are apps out there just like Snapchat that once you use it, the chat is deleted. So there's no connection between the sender and the recipient, which is the school or which is the company or which is the hospital or which is law enforcement. One of my favorite sayings is as a CEO is I cannot fix something I don't know is broke. And that awareness that you're talking about. So I think 2021 should be a year of awareness where we build awareness based on the hindsight of 2020 to identify problems that are coming to fix problems that exist. And a lot of that is going to be leveraging the large amounts of data that we collect as a society to legally understand what has happened and how to predict and respond and mitigate that risk in the year to come. I couldn't agree more. And one of the dozens, and, and I don't say this lightly, one of the dozens of things I've learned from you and just following you as a leader so far is about a law that exists here in the U.S. Uh, called CISA. You're helping people with that. Would you talk people through that just quickly that might not understand the, this legislation that's in place primarily to help business owners, but really to help communities at large as well? There's two CISAs out there people get involved. They know the cybersecurity. There's a government agency called CISA that President Trump started before he left. But the original CISA is the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act that was signed under President Obama in 2015. I was made aware of it by a lawyer friend of mine who said, look, man, look at this crazy law that was enacted by Congress. And what was crazy about it, it was actually a very well thought out law that is designed to protect small business owners from cybersecurity threats. And to do that, they put unbelievable protections that you can't insure against. Like you can get your lawsuit thrown out. You do not have to submit the freedom of information or sunshine law request. You can't be audited. All if you join what's called information sharing and analysis organization, or if you report your hack, or if you've ever been the victim of a cyber attack to the Department of Homeland Security uh, Computer Information 
I'll have to think of it a little bit, but there's a, a DHS community computer emergency response agency. I think it's, it's something like that, but it's easy just to join an ISIL instead of listening to who is like me. But uh, when we found out about the law, we thought we were like, oh my God, here's something, you know, that addresses or could solve the number one problem faced by all small business owners. Now it doesn't matter. There's not a small business owner now with COVID. Okay. If you open a restaurant or a gym, you know, you've got another concern. But pre-COVID, the number one concern of every small business owner was a cyber attack because they had the confidence to keep their business going as a business owner, but they lacked the confidence that they could be protected against these attacks. And I have suffered cyber attacks. I had one of my employees call me up one day and say, boss, we need more money in a credit card to get those Apple cards you ordered, the gift cards. I go, what gift cards? And here was one of my employees running around buying up $2,000 of gift cards because somebody sent them an email with my name in it and they never thought to check it. The criminals are good. They're always one step ahead of you. Small business owners are never going to become cyber experts. They hate the term. But here was an act that with a little bit of effort, you could absolutely get some of the most Robust protections we've ever seen for small business owners, ever, 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 at courtesy of the United States Congress that can't even have a coffee together without punching each other out or bad-mouthing each other. This was an amazing piece of bipartisan legislation, and 99% of small business owners don't even know this legislation exists, which is crazy. You know, you finally develop something worthwhile, and then you don't tell anybody about it. I can't figure that one out. I really can't. You're in the process of figuring it out. And it's this is the type of thing that every business owner should know of. And they're really, thankfully, it's as simple as knowledge being power. Again, once you know about it, you can leverage it and join one of these groups. So we'll be sure to link Survive Cyber to this episode as well if people want to check out an easy way to just stay compliant with this optional law that really is so powerful. Every time I hear you talk about it, the more excited I get about it. I mean, it really does seem like it was created for the benefit of Main Street, you know, and of these small business owners. And when you say it's that was their number one concern, even if it's COVID, it's still it got to be close to that number one concern other than not spreading COVID because, you know, all this data is going around. I probably, I don't want to think how many transactions and dollars I spent on Amazon over this Christmas season. But if they were to get hacked, and, and I have every confidence they won't, but hopefully it's because they're leveraging some of these laws, but it's scary stuff to think about what could happen there. So I do want to kind of, we've talked about a whole lot, and we'll make sure that people have ways to get the information that we've been talking about in these episodes. But let's come back to social media connection for a little bit as well. This being the Corey Connect show, we talk a lot about connecting people with people and people with ideas. And In this case, I just want everyone to know about some of the stuff that you're working on, but I'd love for you to come up with kind of an on-the-fly quote around connection. And it can be anything, you know, how how to leverage, you know, social media or how how to network offline once we can take the masks off. But when you think about connection as a way for businesses to grow in 2021 as a thought leader and business owner, what comes to mind? I mean, coming right completely off the cuff and not being able to spend some time over beer coming up with something more witty. I would just say if you're not connected to your data, you're losing money or you're at an increased risk of security threats. You pay good money for this data as a business owner and you should be connected to it. You should understand it in any tools out there, whether they're ours or it, it doesn't matter. We just run into so many people that have this data, even the United States government, and they're not leveraging it to the 
full extent that it can serve them. I mean, you own the data, that data should be serving you. I would say, you know, basically connect to your data so that it serves you and helps you become a better business owner, a better government institution, a better law enforcement agency, whatever your mission is in life. You know, right now, the number one impediment to you, you know, not optimizing your role or your mission is your ability to connect to data. That's how I would put that. I agree. And somehow organically in this chat, I've said, and it's not profound or prolific, but that knowledge is power. But I think that we can really distill that further. Data is knowledge. So if, if data is knowledge and knowledge is power, data is power. And, and I do think that it's it's brilliant and under-acknowledged that that data is something that businesses have paid for, whether or not they're aware of it. And it is property and it, it is a leverageable asset that people aren't taking custody of and not taking advantage of. And, and worse yet, they're putting it out there where it can really negatively impact their businesses and their customer security as well. So I think that was perfect. Although I do look forward to being able to have some beers with you, you know, especially once this world reopens a little bit. And we'll make sure that people know how to find you. I am really not only a fan of yours, but of, of some of the companies that you run. And so I'm always trying to connect people with those opportunities as well. And I know you've got a channel partnership that's available for some of those. So on the back end of this, I would say if anyone has any questions, you're one of the few people I know that's even busier than I am. So I would follow Bruce if you're listening to this and, and, and inspired. But if you have any questions, definitely just check out some of his companies or I'm happy to, to have some conversations as well. Bruce, I want to thank you for your time. And I do want to ask, is there anything that you would want to either promote here at the end of the show or anything that you would like the listeners of this show to know about you and what you're working on or, or ways that they could potentially get involved? Honestly, you know, I'm not the best advertiser out there, but if you're a small business owner, I would definitely check out Survive Cyber because you can't buy the protections that the government's offering you for a few dollars a month to join an information sharing and analysis organization and participate. I do think it's of enormous benefit just to take that concern, have some peace of mind and be able to focus on your company. And for, you know, the rest of corporate America that's out there, you know, connect to your data. I mean, that's what we built a patent. The largest problem in the data space right now is called multinodal data fusion. It's the ability to connect and standardize data from any of your data sources on the cloud, on-prem, subscription data, doesn't matter what comes in, but you need to visualize that data in order to make decisions. That's where we rock. And, you know, we're doing it for the largest government agencies. And we're doing it for the smallest companies. And we have highly scalable, very, very affordable solutions that can help you be a much, much more effective organization, whether you're fighting fraud, you're fighting crime, you're protecting your schools, you want to protect your house of worship, corporate security, you know, we're there. But I've been very, very blessed uh, with this journey in my life to be able to start companies that that do good things for folks. And I, and I'm Corey, I really welcome the opportunity to, to show up on your podcast. And if anybody has any questions or if they just, you know, want some advice, I don't charge. <laughs> I help veterans all the time. Hey boss, I'm, I'm a Sergeant Major. Hey Sergeant Major, I'm getting out. What can I do? And I listen and I respond to emails and I, I just like helping people. So this is not just a business pitch, but if there's anything here that you'd like more information on, reach out to Corey or reach out to myself and uh, Corey, you've got an amazing podcast. You've got an amazing audience out there. And I relish being uh, offered the opportunity to discuss this with you. And It's a pleasure. I'd love to probably have you back in a month or two as well, because I know there are going to be questions, but 
I'm the guy that's on all the social media platforms telling everybody to connect there. And then I do have smarter people myself come and go, well, Corey, are you really safe out there? You're putting yourself and your businesses out on social media. And lately I'm mentioning this specifically because some of these are the smaller business owners. I'm saying, yeah, you've got to, you've got to look at the survive cyber. I feel very safe at the moment. You know, so many people are putting themselves out there, and I don't think nearly enough of us, I include myself in that number, think about ramifications or repercussions until it's too late. So, you know, the fact that we can get ahead of the curve is fantastic. I do want to just let people know that you are all business, but you're also one of the more fun influencers and personalities I know. I've seen videos of you in kilts out in the snow. I've seen pictures of you with you know some of the biggest guns I've ever seen, not in a Hollywood blockbuster. Um, do you have any, I don't even think they're PR stunts. I think you're just one of the most fun pers- people in the world to follow around with the camera. Do you have anything wild and crazy planned for the next couple months here in 2021 as far as letting the world know about you and what you're up to? At this time, I'm just trying to, you know, like everybody, focused on getting into 2021 and do it. I think um not really crazy. I do think that I should be on in a month uh, because of my son's passing Um, We are finding a very, very significant correlation between concussive sports and mood disorders that are leading to depression and problems with kids. I'm tying up with some very, very large organizations here that are discussing this. People think it's just the NFL. It's not. This is a problem that almost every parent here doesn't know about. And I allowed my son to play two concussive sports, which according to some of the best minds in the country right now, uh, because of concussions and the continuous trauma of practice and sports, it affected my son's ability to make good decisions and to talk to people and to communicate. And this wonderful boy who I sat up with every night while he gamed uh, was suffering unbelievable emotional pain that he did not know how to tell anybody. And I think that we've got to get the word out you know, on concussions, we've got to get the word out on concussive post-treatment and what it could mean to kids in their futures if we're not cognizant of some of these risks. Not saying you can't play concussive sports, but I think that is something that I'm going to be, you know, really digging my teeth into right now. Um, I've got, you know, a really good reason to do it, obviously. And I know it's not wild and crazy, but I am getting a pair of plastic bagpipes so I can learn how to ski and play bagpipes at the same time. That's that's something I, I'm Really wanted to do, you know, I always wanted to do that. And uh, I'll get that going. I think, Corey, as I become more involved with that, that's going to be something we are looking at making a documentary and getting more awareness out. This is a very, an epidemic we are not aware of right now. At least it's an awareness gap, huge awareness gap that we need to address better. And we're not. That's what I'm getting ready to do, play bagpipes in the snow. That's right, on skis. And that's on brand for you. I hope I'm either there to witness it or at least see the video. But as far as the, the concussions, I have a friend named Brock Dewerson, whose dad, Dave Dewerson, played on my Chicago Bears back in 85 when they won the Super Bowl. His concussions led to some brain damage that, that ended up ultimately claiming his life. And so my friend Brock grew up with his father being a, a public figure that, that died of head trauma because of that. And it's impacted him. He's dealt with depression and suicidal tendencies and things like that ever since. And so it impacts the people that are impacted by the impact, no pun intended, but then it has such a rippling effect. And and I can't think of a sadder, but more solemn wake up call. And I love what you're doing to help make sure that not, not as many people have to deal with this in the future. So Bruce, I just want to thank you for everything that you're doing, as well as being on the show. I look forward to having you back on, but I do encourage everyone that's listening to this to, to follow Bruce. You will at the 
very least, you will be entertained and learn something. And I 100% co-sign you as an entrepreneur and everything you're doing, Bruce. So thank you once again. Um, and I'll see everyone on the other side. Thanks for tuning into the Corey Connects podcast. Thanks, Corey. Take care. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.